Imagine with me, if you will, imagine you're, you're driving down the street, passing through just a lovely neighborhood on a beautiful sunny day, minding your own business, and you see a sign. Actually, actually you see lots of signs, right? Yard signs in every direction in front of every house on the street. And, and as you drive by various yard signs, you might, like totally hypothetically speaking, um, do what I've heard some people do and pass judgment on the people who live in the homes based off of their yard signs. You, you think things like, oh yeah, that's right. Good people live right there. And then the very next house you pass, you think, you've got to be kidding me. What is wrong with those people, right? Some yard signs make you smile. And some yard signs make you cringe, right? The, the same thing happens on social media, again, totally hypothetically speaking. Uh, you you kind of chuckle at those snarky, political, political, like divisive memes that your friends post because they're hilarious, right? Uh, but it, it is way too polarizing to comment on them or to share them or to even like them. And so you do what maybe some people do and you screenshot them and you send them to your spouse and your bestie because you know at least they'll appreciate the humor, right? But, but then there's other social media posts that just make you cringe, right? Like how many times have you changed your mind on anything based off of somebody's social media rant, right? Like never, N not one time ever in all of my life have I changed my mind on anything that I've read based off of some ranting post on social media, but see, I read them anyway, right? I, I get sucked in and 45 minutes later, I'm mad because people are on their soapboxes over fake news, right? And it, it's ridiculous and it's, it's maddening, but like, like, you know that sentiment, right? Like, that feeling, that tension we feel when people with differing views on, on politics and religion and, and the economy are just, just in your face about it, right? Like, for the love, which, by the way, is my Christian curse words. Because, because when I say for the love, there is definitely no love, right? Like, for the love, how can somebody think that? Like, for the love, how do you vote for that person? For the love, would you keep your mouth shut? Like, if people would just see things my way, like, 
it would just be so much easier, which is why, again, hypothetically speaking, it's just so easy to pass judgment on people you've never even met just by driving past their blessed yard signs, right? right that, that same angry kind of divisive sentiment that we feel when we pass by yard signs or we scroll through social media, like, like that same feeling, that same sentiment was very real when Jesus walked the earth, right? There were political divisions and economic divisions and religious sects when, when he was here. And, and sometimes we just kind of gloss over those cultural cues in, in scripture, you know, like maybe we don't know what they mean or, or we don't know if they even matter, right? But, but Jesus was very aware of the cultural divides in society. And he didn't ignore them. In fact, he, he faced them head on for people that had all these different, differing loyalties. And, you know, I, I think about the way we use labels, right? Just, just very loaded labels. Labels that are loaded with, with meaning and with, with emotion and with allegiance. Democrat versus Republican. Pro-life versus pro-choice, right? Like, we know what those labels mean. We know how we believe about them, right? And, and it's exactly the same way in Scripture. Right? There are loaded labels all throughout the, the Scripture. Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, right? Romans, Samaritans, Scythians. Do you ever just wonder who the Scythians were? Right? <laughs> but... These groups were like every bit as skeptical and divided and resentful of one another as people can be today. So one of the most hated groups of all, just, just universally hated groups in the, in the Gospels were the publicans. Right? Everyone hated the publicans, right? But personally, I, I'm kind of sensitive to the publicans, right? Because... Publicans were finance guys. They, they worked with money every single day. Some uh, Bible translations will use the phrase tax collectors. But, you know, you lose a little bit of the meaning if you just think about the, in terms of like our tax system, right? It, it wasn't that publicans collected taxes like the income taxes we're filing right now, right? They collected tribute, right? Tribute was a very symbolic tax, right? Tribute was paid to the, to the foreign rulers, the, the conquering nations, right? It, it was imposed by, by the ruling nation on the people that they had defeated. So it, it presupposes submission, right? And, and when Jesus was on the earth, the Jews paid tribute to Rome, their hated conquerors. But see, like, Rome needed people to collect said tribute for them, so, so they had to find Jews that they could entice to do the collection. And, and how do you entice anybody to do anything? You make it lucrative. Right? So the term for the Jews who collected Rome's tribute was publicans. And, and publicans served as these, like, financial middlemen between the oppressed Jews and the conquering Romans. And, and it's not like a publican could just walk up to, like, Brother Jew and say, you know, give me all your money because Caesar wants it. 
right? Like, like they couldn't do that. That wouldn't work. So, so they had to collect taxes on, on everything people did and, and everywhere they went. Um, there, was a, there was a purchase tax on things that were bought and sold, not unlike our, our sales tax. There was uh, bridge money that was paid when somebody wanted to cross a bridge. There was road money that was paid when you wanted to use the road. There was harbor dues that were collected when a ship would pull into the harbor. Uh, town dues were collected when, when a traveler would enter into a, a walled town to stay. Uh, if a man was traveling on a road, he would maybe have to pay to use the road, and then if he was pulling a cart, he would have to pay a tax on the cart, and if the cart had then wheels, you'd pay a tax on the wheels and the axle and the animals that were pulling the cart. I mean, that, that, that's how, that's how um, heavy the, the tax system was. And, and so here's the Jews thinking, like, this is our land, right? These are our roads. Get out of my way. I, I want to use them. And the Romans are thinking, well, nice try. You're a vassal state, right? If you want to use this road, it's going to cost you. And it was the publicans who were standing right there ready to collect the taxes. But see, like one publican can't be everywhere at once, so it took a lot of publicans to do this. There would be a, uh, like a publican in charge of the air, uh, that geographical area, and then there was a bunch of other publicans that would do the actual collection, which is why we see in scripture chief publicans, and then the equivalent of like a bunch of publican minions running around town, right? Like, like, and as the publicans would collect the tribute for Rome, see, they just collected additional tax for themselves, which is why it was so lucrative. And it was, it was not a secret, right? Everyone knew they collected more tribute than was required, and it was known, right? It was a corrupt system, it was fraud. Uh, when things happen like this today, we call it embezzlement, right? It, it's a white-collar crime. It can land you a nice little stay in federal prison, right? It, it's not a part of our system anymore. But see, this explains why nearly every time we see the word tax collectors mentioned in Scripture, it's always in a negative context, like tax collectors and sinners, there goes Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners again, right? So the, the publicans were viewed as this ruthless, heartless, lying traitors, and it was true, right? Everyone knew it. The publicans were aligned with the wrong political party. They were corrupt in their finances. They played a very active role in an abusive economic system, like, it would be an understatement to say their yard signs were wrong, their social media was all wrong, their memes were wrong, right? Like, think of that sentiment that we feel towards those who align differently than us, but then multiply it by a million, right? And, and that's how strong the hatred was towards those publicans, right? And we know quite a bit about publicans and, and the fact that they were very money-hungry Jews, but, see, it's really interesting to me because we, when we study scripture, we, we come across publicans quite a bit, but only two of them are ever given a name. So the first publican that is mentioned in the Bible is, is Levi. You, you might know him as Matthew, right? As in the apostle who wrote the gospel of Matthew. It says in Matthew 9, 
as Jesus went on from Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. See, when, when Jesus called Matthew to follow me, Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth in Galilee, where he was one of the publicans responsible for collecting taxes. And he's the first hated publican we meet in scripture. And when Jesus calls him, he doesn't even hesitate. He, he immediately leaves his life as a tax collector. He gives up his source of income, a very lucrative income that he walks away from, immediately becomes one of Jesus' disciples. And you keep reading through the Gospels, and there's these, these generic references to, to publicans and sinners. You, 14 more times, actually, like, like all these generic publicans and sinners, publicans and sinners, and, and none of them are given any, any names until you get to the very last one. And this, this last publican is my favorite. It's this kind of classic encounter. And I'm convinced that Jesus just wanted to settle the matter on publicans once and for all. Um, the story is found in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn with me to a story that I know you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a short little story about a short little man uh, named Zacchaeus. And so... Uh, Three and a half years have passed since uh, Jesus called Matthew to be the publican, to be one of his disciples. Uh, Jesus' earthly ministry is quickly coming to an end. Uh, best estimate is this, this, um, this story happened maybe one to two days before Jesus goes into Jerusalem on what would become known as Palm Sunday. So he is on mission. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows full well what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. But he has someone's life to touch before he gets there. So we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 19. I'm starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So um, from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's, it's 15 miles. It's kind of like from here to Centerburg. It takes seven or eight hours to walk there. And Jesus are, and the disciples, are, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and the disciples think they're just going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. But see, Jesus is very intentional that he does not pass over Jericho. No, no, no. He walks straight up Main Street, like straight through the center of town. Verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So the name Zacchaeus, it is a Hebrew name, and because he was a Jew, that would make sense. But, but the name Zacchaeus means pure and righteous, which is just fabulously ironic, right? Because he was chief among the publicans, right? The guy was anything but pure and righteous, right? And because he was the chief tax collector, he, he was at the top of the food chain, right? He was the Jew who was who was hired, who hired the other, like, publican minions to do the dirty work for, for him, collecting all the tribute it, throughout Jericho. And I kind of think of it like, if you were to combine the IRS with the mafia and a pyramid scheme, this is basically Zacchaeus' life, right? Like, like he was enormously wealthy, but he was a hot mess, right? And, okay, so verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being of little stature, he could not because of the crowd. Uh, this is what we all know about Zacchaeus, right? It's what we learned in Sunday school. He was short, of little stature. But the fact that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, see, that was only half the problems. L look at verse 3 again. 
The Bible does not say he could not see because he was short. No, it says he could not see because of the crowd. The because is attached to, not to his stature, it's attached to the crowd. See, see, the crowd was pressing in to see Jesus, right? And, and at the same time, what a great opportunity to push Zacchaeus to the back on purpose where he couldn't see because they hated the guy, right? And I mean, I want just, just think about how every group picture you've ever taken ever, how does it work? You put the short people in the front and the tall people in the back. Everybody's faces are smiling and you can see them all, right? Like, it's so easy. Uh, every parade you have ever been to, the wee little kids go up front, the tall kids and the parents stand in the back, everybody can see the parade. Like, this is not hard, right? Like, like, like this is not a problem. The fact that Zacchaeus was of little stature was not the problem. The crowd hated him, right? That was the problem. He was a sinner. The crowd didn't want him to see Jesus because he didn't deserve to see Jesus, right? They pressed him to the back because they hated him, and they hated all of his public and minion friends too, right? They hated him. So verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. See, also very culturally relevant. The culture of that day valued dignity and honor, right? The fact that Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree tells us where his heart already was, right? To climb a tree, especially of a person of Zacchaeus's position, that was to humble himself, right? I mean, there's no honor in a middle-aged man climbing a, climbing a tree like he's some part of the paparazzi. There's no honor in that. He, he sacrificed his dignity when he climbed that tree. He put aside his station in life just for a chance to see Jesus. So verse 5, when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I get that, Je that um, Jesus was the omniscient creator of the universe and all, but isn't it remarkable that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name? right? And remarkable that at the very moment that Zacchaeus was climbing a tree to see Jesus, Jesus was walking up Main Street Jericho looking for a publican? It's this beautiful picture of the biblical truth. If you're looking for Jesus, good news, he's looking for you too. Right? And, and notice who takes the initiative here. See, see, Zacchaeus doesn't call out like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, I'm up here. You, you look at me. Like, he, he doesn't do that. I mean, sh sure, he's eager to see Jesus, but it was Jesus who called him. Right? It, it's Romans 5, 8 in real time. For God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I just wonder if Jesus was, was thinking, I, oh, he saw Zacchaeus up in that tree and he thought, yeah, no problem, Zacchaeus. Like, like right now, I'm on my, Calvary, I'm on my way to Calvary for, for your financial crimes, for your financial sins. And man, this time next week, those, all of your debts, they're going to be paid for for you. Like, just, just come on down. And so Jesus calls him down, come down immediately, and by inviting Zacchaeus down from the tree, he's lifting him up out of the mess that his life was. So verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right? And here we see it. The crowd is muttering about the guy they can't stand. Right? They hated Zacchaeus for his wrong allegiance. And to be fair, the crowd was right. Right? Zacchaeus was a sinner. His name meant pure and righteous, but he was the exact opposite. The crowd knew it, and they were right. So verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, we've already established that Zacchaeus was a Jew. How familiar he was with the Old Testament law, I don't know. But the law of Moses, which he was under, required Zacchaeus to make good on what he cheated others out of. It's written into Leviticus And it gives very specific instructions on this. Zacchaeus had to repay to make restitution and then add 20%, right? Like return what you stole plus one-fifth. It was in the law. Maybe Zacchaeus knew this. Maybe he didn't. I don't know, but I do know Jesus did. Jesus knew what the law required. Here, though, Zacchaeus doesn't offer to return what he took plus one-fifth. No, he he offers 20 times what the law required. I'll pay it all back four times over, he said. And when it comes to money, he goes from embezzlement to embellished giving in one sentence, right? Um, this, is a, this is a total sidebar and has nothing to do with the message, but in my Bible, I have this word circled in turquoise, right? I, I so appreciate the way Zacchaeus says if, if I have cheated, right? um, there is no if, Zacchaeus, right? You did. You did cheat people, right? Zacchaeus knew it. Jesus knew it. Literally every person in the crowd knew it, right? There was no reason for the if except to just save face. Um, but that's, you know, exactly how I like to apologize for things, too. If I said something to offend you, if I hurt your feelings... If I said something I shouldn't have, it's as if we're not really sure we need to apologize, but just in case, if, you know, that's that's how I like to apologize. I know that's how people have apologized to me before. I don't know if maybe we can all just agree to stop apologizing to each other with the word if. Just, Just when, right? When the Holy Spirit tells us we need to apologize, it can just be, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for... Like, we don't need to pull a Zacchaeus and start our apologies with, with the word if. When I go on a rabbit trail in the classroom, I always tell the students, that one was free, so now we go back, right? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, this day salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Ah, oh, this day, right? What a difference a day can make. And salvation has come. Jesus does not say salvation will come, right? Like, as in, after you get all of your mess straightened out, when you pay back what you stole from all these people, salvation is then waiting for you. See, no. The publican's salvation did not depend on anything he did with money. It, salvation just came first, right? It was, it was a free gift, and it came first, And then a complete 180 happened in terms of his finances. 
Zacchaeus is given salvation. How he stewards money after receiving the gift was just his response. It's why we say money is a mirror, right? It, it reflects the change that already happened in Zacchaeus. Okay, but, but verse 9, see, there's this interesting shift in verse 9. Notice how mid-sentence Jesus starts talking in the third person, right? He says, he says to Zacchaeus, this day salvation has come to this house. And then he turns. And then he, he says to the crowd, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. See, Jesus is talking in the third person because he's not talking to Zacchaeus anymore. He's talking to the crowd about Zacchaeus. Uh, hey, hey, crowd, uh, this person who has made a different allegiance than you, also a son of Abraham, right? Today, I, I think in the church it might sound something like this, like, uh, hey, hey, church, that person who votes differently than you, who thinks differently than you, whose yard signs don't match yours, that socialist, that capitalist, that vaxxer, that anti-vaxxer, right? That person who wears the MAGA hat, like, I'm going to use them to bless others too. He said, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. See, now, now Jesus is referring to himself in the third person, right? And I, I love when people do that, right? Really cool people talk about themselves in the third person. Like, Kelly doesn't like that yard sign. Like, like, Kelly doesn't vote that way. Right? Kelly doesn't wear a mask. Right? Like, like I just want to give the cool kid sticker to Jesus for the morning because he's talking about himself in the third person. But in all seriousness, if you want to summarize the whole book of Luke in one statement, this is the one, right? The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The publican was lost. He was the hated traitor. This guy with the ugly past and the messed up bank account. On his way to the cross, Jesus seeks out the publican and saves him. All right, so what's the moral of the story, right? might be thinking, I'm not a tax collector, I'm not a publican, I'm not colluding with Rome, I, I'm not embezzling any money, I don't even work in finance, I hire someone to file my taxes for me, I've known this story since I was three. Great, same, right. But, see, as simple as the story is for our kids to understand it, I'm finding that the lessons just hit a little bit closer to home the older I get. I mean, to start, lesson number one, see, Jesus rebuked the crowd, right? The crowd was so busy pressing Zacchaeus to the back that they didn't see what was right in front of them. Uh, hello, the Messiah of the universe, like, right in front of you, literally on his way to be crucified for your sins. But there was only one person that was saved that day, and it wasn't anyone in the crowd. Because they were muttering about other people's sins, they missed out on a relationship with Jesus. So they were rebuked. No matter how much I dig into this text, and I, I just can't find any good that comes from muttering about the publicans. Right? I mean, I'm just sure of it that the same is true of us, right? No good comes from muttering over yard signs, or social media. Like when we crowd out those who vote differently than us or 
snub those with a different perspective or roll our eyes as we're on social media, like we, me included, right? We just need to remember it's our job to help people see Jesus, not to judge who is worthy of seeing him. See, the crowd is rebuked, but Jesus never rebukes Zacchaeus. And that's lesson number two. See, Jesus restored Zacchaeus. The publican exploited the tax system for his own financial gain. It was no secret. It was selfish. It was oppressive. He committed fraud. He embezzled. He literally got it all wrong with money. And I'm so grateful we serve a God who restores people who get it all wrong with money. Man, rich or poor, Jesus isn't intimidated by our finances or how we manage them. No matter how well or not well we steward money, Jesus calls us down from the tree and he lifts us up knowing full well every financial decision we've ever made, the good ones and the bad ones. And see, when when he gets down from the tree, Zacchaeus doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to explain himself. Of all the things he could have said to Jesus in that moment, he simply gives a testimony. This is number three. See, Zacchaeus' testimony is recorded. The only word Zacchaeus speaks in this entire narrative is a record of his financial testimony. He says, look, Lord, look very specifically at my finances. Today, people are far more likely to say the opposite, right? Uh, Please don't look, Lord. Don't look at my finances. A lot of people prefer that money never come up, not at the dinner table, not in front of the kids, not in small group. And and so, like, if they do come up, we're going to need them to come up in very vague generalizations, right? Surely we don't put numbers to numbers, right? Just, Just be vague in general. But the publican's money mess was very public. Our money messes are among the most private issues we carry. Their financial misconduct was out in the open. It was common knowledge. In our culture, money is a very private, secretive topic. Troy talks about this a lot. If you've been at New Life for any time at all, you've heard him talk about how people are closed off about this topic of money. This one was just a few weeks ago. You've heard me say this before. Money is one of the deepest spiritual issues you will ever deal with. Money. I've pastored long enough. I've dealt with people long enough to understand that it is a fact that one of the very last things that someone will surrender to God is what? their money. It's one of the deepest spiritual issues you deal with. I've, I've told Troy this more than once. It seriously bothers me when he says that. I, I mean, for someone who literally talks about money every day of the week, that makes me cringe more than any yard sign ever will. I hate it when he says that. I mean, think about Zacchaeus. And this is number four. Zacchaeus responded with his money immediately. When Jesus changed Zacchaeus' heart, Zacchaeus responded in that moment with a different kind of stewardship. He said, 
look, Lord, here and now, Zacchaeus encounters Christ in this just crisis moment. He climbs up a tree. Jesus calls him down by name. Zacchaeus takes his Savior home for dinner. His food hasn't even digested yet when Zacchaeus responds with his finances. He says, here and now. He goes from greedy to giver like that, here and now. Zacchaeus didn't say what we're tempted to say. I will give. As soon as I can, I will. I have every intention to. Um, When I get my financial house in order, then I will. For Zacchaeus, it was just simply, I give. And here's the reason. This is the last one. See, salvation's result is always generosity. Zacchaeus said, I give half my possessions to the poor. I think it was like January, early January maybe, Troy called and asked me about this Sunday. And, but, but even before he called, see, the, there was something that John and I had on our hearts that we wanted to support. We, it wasn't that we disagreed. We totally agreed. Um, it's just that we hadn't gotten around to it yet. And so after Troy called and I, um, I started reflecting on this passage, and then I started losing sleep. Now, one night I went home and I said to John, I was like, uh, we're either going to need to get on the hustle bus with that or... I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite on the stage that day. See, we had really good intentions. It just was the follow-through that was the problem. And I know everyone has the best of intentions. When it comes to this area of living generously, I never question the spirit of generosity in any Christ follower. Across the board, people have noble, honorable intentions in this area. It's just that we all seem to be in a little bit of a different place when it comes to follow through. See, it bothers me so bad when Troy says the very last thing someone will surrender to God is is money. Not because I disagree with him. It bothers me because I'm afraid he's right. Maybe all of us, the rushes included, need a little more publican in us. Zacchaeus, the chief publican, whose past was all wrong with money, gets one invitation from Jesus, and he gets it all right with money. His future is restored. His stewardship was perfected 20 times over. Now, this was no token tithe out of guilt, right? This was a complete 180. It was immediate. I just, want, I just want to put verse 8 back on the screen real fast. I, I want to put all the pieces together. See, check out Zacchaeus' words to Jesus. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give. Look, Lord, here and now I give. Oh, my goodness. I want Zacchaeus' testimony to be my testimony, to be our testimony. Right? Look, Lord, I have nothing to hide about my finances, because here and now, I give. I'd like, if you're willing, thank you, Kelly, that's awesome, awesome word. Um, Would you just bow your heads for a moment, if you're willing? Um, I want to pray with you, because this is a, this is a, this is a, as we've already said, a deeply spiritual topic this morning. And 
Uh, before I pray with you, though, I'd love, I don't need to know any details, but if, if the Lord's just speaking to you, moving in your heart, would you just raise your hand just real quick so I can see who I'm praying for? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Good. Amen. Good stuff. Lord, uh, God, when you created us, you created us to, in your image. And I'm so grateful that you're a generous God. You've created us to be generous. Not, not because you need our money. You know, you own the cattle on a thousand hills and all the taters in them hills. <laughs> you, you don't need our money. Lord, it, it, it's a heart condition when we honor you first with our resources or when we don't. It speaks of our heart. Um, giving makes us generous people, makes us joyful people. And so, Lord, I don't know how this is speaking to folks this morning what you're saying, maybe it's different things to different people from different elements of the sermon, but Lord, I, uh, I thank you for this truth. You have given us this story for our own well-being. You have given this, us this truth for our own good, and uh, we're grateful. Now, Lord, help us as New Life Church just to be sold out to you. And Lord, there may be someone here this morning who they know what Kelly is talking about and what I talked about last Sunday. They know all about the theme of these two Sundays and for whatever reason are afraid to just step out in faith and honor you and to practice what we've been talking about. Lord, would you help them Lord, then there are others who maybe is new to the church. Maybe this is the first time they've heard the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe this is the first they've heard this type of talk. Father, would you just continue to love them and teach them and guide their steps and their path in this area. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit. And... Uh, for your faithfulness this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. We're going to continue in worship. Uh, if anyone wants to come pray, man, you're welcome to come pray. Ryan, lead us if you would. Let's stand and continue to worship together today.
mission to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down.
of leave today knowing just how much your Father loves you and respond by being generous with the love that he's given you in everything that you guys do. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next week.